Welcome to EnviroPod, a chance to catch up with all the good things your Department of Public Works and Environmental Services does to maintain and enhance the environment in Fairfax County. I'm your host, Bob DeMarco, and on this edition of the podcast, I'm speaking with Patricia Greenberg, Invasive Management Area Program Manager with the Park Authority. Patricia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Okay, well, let's let's get a little context here to start. What are invasive species? Yes, okay. Invasive species are plants that have either been accidentally or purposefully introduced to an area in which they are no longer which they're not native. So many times invasive species are brought as landscape plants. You can buy them in most nurseries. Nurserymen will suggest them to you because they will grow anywhere. They can grow in harsh conditions. They have no pests because their pests are originally in their hometown. And so uh, this this causes an issue when invasive species have characteristics like producing way too many seeds. Well, they are have aggressive characteristics, I should say. Hmm overproduction of seeds. Uh, they are first to leaf out in the spring, so taking up the sun. They, um, the, and that gives them an advantage because they did not originate here. They did not evolve with our wildlife. So deer mostly do not eat them. Uh, all of these things you can hear people wanting in their yard, right? They're beneficial in that way. And what happens is that they then invade the natural areas because of these aggressive tendencies, and they take over native vegetation, like vines, kudzu is one that's super familiar to most. Uh, there's other vines that will take down trees. I've seen healthy, large trees collapse over because of the weight of English ivy. So vines can be very aggressive in that way, heavy, um, just strong in the way that they wrap themselves around trees and strangle choking trees. So these aggressive tendencies are characteristics of invasive species. I have uh, I have a serious battle, uh, ongoing battle, in my yard with um, uh, English ivy is definitely a big one, and then something that looks like grapevine, I think, and some other third species, and and they just strangle out the trees, and I'm constantly out there cutting them back. Yes, porcelainberry might be what you're seeing. It looks very similar to grapes. However, the seeds or the flowers of the porcelainberry grow up in like a little cluster towards the sky, whereas the grapes grow as like you see a hanging vine of grape, you know, of grape berries like hanging downwards. And if you are uncertain because you don't have flowers or seeds and you just have vines, cut a woody piece and you'll see that the pith, that center heart part of the vine, is white, and if it's white, it's the invasive species porcelainberry. If it's brown, it's our native grapes, and there are a variety of species of grape. And on the edge of the forest, grape can be quite aggressive and can grow and sort of shade out the tree that it's growing underneath. Uh, and so sometimes deciding on what you want to grow in that space, um, you might want to thin that out. But most likely if you're looking at an overabundance of vines and plants growing in one, one type of species, right, one type of vine, one type of leaf, that's usually an indicator that you have an invasive species. So you mentioned uh, that they are not only harmful to other plants, but can they be harmful to animals also? So the reason they are harmful to animals is because of the fact that they take over where our native vegetation would be. 
And so our native species are what wildlife, what animals need to thrive. Uh, scientists have found that invasive species are linked to the decline of our songbird population. Uh, scientists have found that invasive species are the in, um, linked to the increase of Lyme disease. So there's a lot of linkages to invasive species and the harm that it can cause to humans as well as they can cause to uh, wildlife. So birds, for instance, may nest in a bush honeysuckle, which is a Linocera species, a variety of kinds that you can also purchase in the nursery. They may nest there or they may nest in a burning bush, um, which is another invasive species that you see in landscape beds. Mm -hmm. And because they they feel that they're in a protective space, they're the you know these have leafed out, whereas our trees have yet to leaf out, and they're looking for a space to nest and find cover protection, and they may nest in these lower growing shrubs and be easy access to predators. Well, so how do you guard against this? You I mentioned up front your invasive management area program manager. What is the invasive management area program? Sure. It's a wonderful program that is supported by the Board of Supervisors funding um, Energy and Environment Fund. And the IMA program, as we call it, has a group of volunteers. And these volunteers have been trained as IMA site leaders. And IMA site leaders are trained to know what invasive species are in the park in which they're interested in working. A lot of times it's individuals who say, hey, this park has been taken over. I can, I want to protect the trees behind my home, and this is all parkland. Hey, how can I help? And we say, great, let's go through this training. We run through a PowerPoint that discusses a lot of what I've been sharing with you today and in more detail because we want to make sure that the person who's working out in the parks knows what the difference is between our native species that we want to support and the invasive species. And there are so many invasive species that to be able to identify them all, you really want to go into depth and you want to have some hands-on experience. And so the IMA program supports these volunteers that then lead volunteer groups that they can um, take out into the parkland. And these volunteers will then do the labor, the work, the intensive work of pulling out and cutting back these invasive species. IMA site leaders uh, may also work on their own. They just want to be out there and protecting some of the native shrubs and um, wildflowers that they see in their backyard. And so they can go out there after the training and do that work themselves. The IMA program supports volunteers by giving them the tools that they need, the gloves, um, anything that would help make in removing invasive species easier for them. When um, invasive, invasive species are pulled out of an area, do you find that um, pretty quickly the, the native plants come back and, and the balance is restored? So another part of our IMA program is giving volunteers native species to install whether it's a, a mixture of native seeds or native plants. And we work with a partner organization called Earth Sangha to obtain native species to install in those areas where invasives have been removed. But in many cases, yes, there is a seed bank of native species in the soil that was there previous to those invasive species taking, o taking over. And so many times you remove the invasive species and you're releasing this space for our native seeds to germinate and plants to come back. And of course you have trees over in the canopy, they seed, and then you have your native seed source as well there. So it depends on the site. Some areas may not have what we call a remnant native patch, right? Where an area where you used to have what would originally have been there, you know, a whole, you know, a variety of beautiful native species, um, and sometimes you do. So it just depends. So that those those seeds are kind of laying dormant, 
waiting for their sunlight or their their opportunity and nutrients to to start growing again. Uh, so you mentioned volunteers. Is this an all volunteer force? And what kind of knowledge do people need to have going into this? Yeah. So it's not an all volunteer force. I'm a program uh, through this. Environment Energy Fund also has a pocket of funding to hire contractors that can help us with managing invasive species that volunteers just cannot manage. There's some plants that digging them out doesn't make any sense. They either, like lesser celandine, for instance, it's this beautiful green and yellow flowered uh, plant that grows along our stream valleys. People see them all in the, in the early parts of the spring. And so in the space of where uh, Virginia bluebell would be growing, lesser celandine is starting to take over and it quickly spreads with the flow of water. Mm-hmm. And so those cases, you can't dig those out and try to remove them unless it's like one patch just starting to take over. And if you can get it early, we call it early detection rapid response. Um, if you can get it really early where it's one or two little patches of those plants and take out all the tiny little bulbets that are below the surface, not missing a single one, hmm. you have a chance of suppressing that plant at that time. So in cases where it has just taken over and we found it at a point where it's already a blanket, we have to hire a contractor and the contractor uses herbicides to manage the species at the right time and doing it very carefully. That's uh, something that brought, came to mind. I was going to ask you, do you use any sort of herbicides or or, or that kind of chemical out there and and how does are those things selective in other words so most uh, most times our contractors use um, herbicides that are least toxic to wildlife and people right and so we're trying to be safe when we're using the herbicides that we are putting out um, onto the earth and many times it is glyphosate which is um, the chemical used as you know in many food products however the type of glyphosate mixture that our contractors use is one that is meant is certified for use in aquatic environments and so it's less toxic with the additives that are in it and of course we're not eating these plants these plants are um, going and dying and then being left there um these um, herbicides that we use, mainly, like I said, with glyphosate, once they adhere to that plant or to the soil below it, it becomes dormant and is no longer transferable. Um, other cases where we have um, plants like woody plants, trees, invasive trees, that our volunteers can't dig out because a lot of times that would cause too much disturbance. And if you're in along a, a steep bank where there could be potential for erosion or the stream valley, we want to reduce the amount of impact we're having on the soil or other creating other issues like erosion. And so many times we'll, volunteers will cut those bushes or those trees and then um, our staff or contractor will go back and recut it and apply a dab of herbicide to that trunk where it's then absorbed directly into the chem- to the um, roots, the chemicals absorbed to the roots. Oh. You mentioned... Um woody plants. I always think of invasive species as being like little nasty weeds and stuff like that. But I've noticed, okay, our, our neighbors across the fence, I swear they are a haven for all of these species. Uh, they don't take great care of their stuff. And I've noticed on a, a corner of their lot that comes right up against ours um, in five years, maybe, a substantial woody tree grown, uh, growing from a tiny little weed that wasn't there when we first moved in. And it produces berries that this other person in the neighborhood put, picks, you know. So I don't know. I don't know a what that's all about. Tree, maybe. maybe that's what it is. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about those kind of invasive species because we don't think of the trees around us as being that. We we think of them as being victims. 
trees, yeah, many times they are the victims or the vines are taking over. But there is a few invasive tree species. Um, one that's very common is the Bradford pear. Calorie pear was a species that is highly promoted in the nursery and landscape. Uh, it has a beautiful white flower. And if you're driving up 495 or up the Fairfax County Parkway in the spring, you will see it just white, snow white along the, the roadsides. And that's Bradford pear. And that is an indicator that you have an invasive species when you have a solid growth of one plant. So they produce lots of berries. And a lot of times you will see those coming up in areas that aren't being mowed or maintained or managed or protected. Um, those those berries are spread really quickly. Mulberry is another one. There is um, red mulberry, which is a native species. And then there's a white mulberry, which is an invasive species. And they have actually interbred as well. So sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two, the berry spread. So birds, you know, eat a lot of the ba- berries that they see out there. And when you have woody species like burning bush and Bradford pears and autumn olives, these are all invasives I just listed. Um, or tree of heaven is another really common invasive species that's really taken off. Um, I think there was a book about it because it's a tree that grew in New York and York City is hard to grow things there. Yeah, the Tree of Heaven um, I became familiar with when I lived in New York City, and they pop up everywhere, and they grow very fast, and they become these giant solid trees pretty quickly. They do, and they are, and they are, and they are so incredibly invasive. Where we have a patch of woods in Laurel Hill, which is in Lorton, mm-hmm. and there's just I've never seen anything like it. This park is covered in, in Tree of Heaven, and trying to manage something like that is just very, very costly. Because you're right, these trees become just massive giants, and so to maintain, manage those, and get them out, and then have to use herbicide to treat them, because the characteristic that creates this, it makes this tree so invasive is that if you harm it, it will send runners out and young tree seedlings will come out of an instant root system. So then it becomes this forest of tree of heaven. It's like the hydra. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. So, um, yeah, so woody species make it re- do make it a little bit more challenging to maintain because trees are can get really large. And so you need to hire an arborist crew to remove a large tree and then have a, somebody who can apply chemicals to the trunk to make sure that it doesn't regrow. Because if you cut down a woody vine, if you find um, oriental bittersweet or wisteria, which is a very beautiful invasive species, and you cut them, they will regrow. They will not stop growing. And many times it makes it more aggressive and, and one to spread even more. So um, a lot. It, in these cases, herbicide is really necessary to try to eliminate it, unless you're digging out the entire thing. So if you pull a, um, if you pull a, a, a some sort of invasive spe- species out by the root, the chances are good that you're not getting the whole root, and that it will continue to grow later. It depends. Yeah. If you, can, you, we have a tool called the weed wrench or the root puller. It's an incredible tool, and people love coming out to volunteer to use this tool because when you're wrenching out a trunk of a tree or a bush, you you will get the entire root system out with this weed wrench. If you can imagine, it clamps down at the base of the trunk and then you just put all your weight into it and loosens the root system and it all just comes out. But if you're cutting something or only pulling out a section of it, yeah, a lot of times those roots, especially with the tree of heaven, they'll just re, re-sprout. You mentioned before the Early Detection and Rapid Response Program. Tell me a little bit about that and and how it works. Sure. So the Early Detection Rapid Response is the concept of trying to get to these invasives, the new invasives, before they can really become dominant in the environment where they're growing, right? And so we have a 
an app uh, called Maiden, the Mid-Atlantic Early Detection Network, uh, Maiden. And it's a great app that helps people who are out there and working in the field log the invasive species that they're seeing. And when you have an, uh, a species that's early detection rapid response, it's EDRR, uh, like wavy leaf basket grass, uh, having people out there taking a photo of it and putting it on the app, it adds it to a map sy mapping system called the Early Detection and Distribution Mapping System, uh, which is a nationwide mapping system uh, through the University of Georgia. And this allows natural resource managers to take a look at this map and say, okay, I see that there's been new findings of wavy leaf basket grass just in the stream valley next to one of our parks. We need to go out there and take a look and inspect and make sure that the deer haven't spread it from that stream valley to our stream valley or something like that. Is there... Um... So I, I would imagine you have to prioritize what you go after because invasive species are everywhere. Uh, using this um, using this app, do you go after the most harmful species or do you go after um, the areas of most abundance? So we have a system that helps us prioritize our work. And with the early detection rapid response species, we prioritize those because we want to stop their spread as much as possible. And so things like kudzu and wavy leaf basket grass, we're really trying to get on top of those before they take over new areas. Uh, otherwise, we're looking at our what's called the non-native invasive assessment protocol. And this has uh, where we hire interns, summer interns, to come out and assess our open space. And they're walking through every inch of the woods using a protocol that was created to help us assess the health of a woods, the quality of the woods they're seeing, the invasive species and the quantity of invasive species they're seeing in the woods, and also taking into account a cultural aspects like high use. Are there volunteers working here? Is it a high visited, highly visited park? Um, Cultural, other cultural things like maybe historic value to the to a park or something like that, and all of these things are quantified. And then our parks, our parcels, are then numbered, and based on that assessment, we we go and say, okay, well, we've got this pocket of funding. We're going to start here at the highest quality forests, so that we know that we're working to help keep those native plant communities intact and healthy and alive, where if there are areas where invasive species are being introduced, whether by birds or deer or um, squirrels, you know, we can start to, we can work on limiting the spread of those invasive species because it's few and far between, whereas you have other parks, for instance, many stream valleys where invasive species are just spreading through the runoff, right? Storm waters, storms are getting so intense, the water's really starting to bring um, seeds from homes down into the stream valleys and those spread onto the soil and then they really quickly take off in those areas and it's it's so abundant. The invasives are so abundant in those areas that to try to maintain them, it just takes a lot of time, money, and effort. And that's where our volunteers are just um, so appreciated. To be able to have 90 or so site leaders that are leading over 1,000 volunteers every year. It's about over 2,000 volunteers every year out there pulling invasive species. They're really making a huge difference, and we couldn't, we couldn't keep our parks as healthy as they are without them. Well, since you're talking about volunteers, I have a couple other questions for you, but I want to talk about volunteers for a quick moment. How can people who are interested get signed up and get involved in this program? Sure. Uh, the IMA, if you Google IMA Fairfax County, you can find information on that web page. And there's, there's a link that says calendar. And on that calendar, our IMA site leaders 
have work days that they post, and there's work days almost every weekend, sometimes during the weekday, uh, all throughout the year. And you can have your pick of what day you want to go out there and volunteer. And some volunteers can be out there for a couple hours. Some I'm a site leaders like to work for a chunk of the morning, four hours in the morning, and people can come and go. Um, when they do come out to volunteer, the I'm a site leader provides training on what they're doing, how they're doing it. A lot of high, um, high school students or elementary school students get volunteer service hours for volunteering with us, and they, they get their forms signed off. Uh, and uh, even court-ordered volunteers come through the IMA program and get service hours that way as well. Well, that's uh, that sounds like a great way to uh, you know if you're if you're in trouble, that sounds like a great way to to, <laughs> yes. to get yourself clear a little it bit. It is a great way, and it's fun because you learn so much when you're out there, and you really see the impact, the positive impact that you have pretty immediately. So it's, it's a lot of fun. And also corporate corporations will come yeah. out and volunteer yeah. and have sort of team building activities and, you know, contribute to the community. Uh, and those are great work days because people sitting at a desk all day long love to get out and do yes. something different. Okay. So this is a personal question. What is the weirdest, strangest invasive species you have seen when you've been out walking around in our parks? You know, there's just so many new ones coming up here and there that I, I, it's hard to say. But the the strangest thing I've ever seen was a wisteria vine. It was climbing up one large tree. And as it was climbing up, I think it had already wrapped itself around a younger tree, still quite a, quite a good-sized tree. And as it was moving its way up, it ended up pulling this tree out of the ground. So to walk by and see how wisteria could actually take a tree out of the ground and kill it. It was just mind-blowing. Wisteria is that beautiful purple viney flower? That's correct. That my mom used to have on her front. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that was in Ohio, so don't worry. Um, oh, that's crazy to think that that beautiful flower could pull a tree up by, you know, out of its roots. It's a very tough vine. And, you know, there's a saying with invasive species because many people say, oh, I'll just put that in my house. And it's not doing anything in my yard. There's a saying. It says invasives will sleep. They'll creep, and then they leap, and then they mm. just take off. So in closing, what would you like uh, residents of Fairfax County to keep in mind? What, what do you want them to remember from this conversation that should always stick with them uh, from here going forward when it comes to how they plant and invasive species in general? Yeah, I think the key here is helping helping create healthy wildlife habitat. And this somebody can do at home very easily. When we pick a plant that we know is regionally local uh, to Virginia, we know we're providing a source of habitat, food, cover, um, place for nesting for our wildlife. And when you provide that source, you're also potentially providing a source of native seed bank for the surrounding area. And so going into the nursery and saying, hey, I'd really like to find a locally regionally local native Virginia species to put in my yard that can be beautiful and, you know, is green, you you can ask for that and they might say, well, we, we don't have that many, but let me show you what we do have. But the fact that you're going out there and you're asking more and more nurserymen and we'll, we'll have those, those available to you. Well, great advice. Patricia, thank you so much for coming on EnviroPod. Thank you for having me. Patricia Greenberg, Invasive Management Area Program Manager, 
uh, clearing things up and shedding some light on invasive species. If you want to get more information on Fairfax County Department of Public Works and Environmental Services and all that it does, go to fairfaxcounty.gov slash publicworks or call 703-324-5033, weekdays between 8 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. Thanks again for joining us on Enviropod, which is produced by the Fairfax County, Virginia government.